0: Welcome to The Recurring Plot, presented by Curban Turf. On this show, we interview agritourism farmers, authors, leaders, and influencers who share their insights on growing and monetizing your agritourism business. Here's your host, Dustin Reed. Hi, this is Dustin from Curban Turf. You're listening to The Recurring Plot, which talks about all things RVs and how to make more recurring income from your property. We're excited to have Dave Payon on the show today. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. So for those that don't know you, can you give a brief introduction about you and where you're from and kind of give us a lowdown on what okay. you do?
1: Well, I was born in Minnesota, but my family moved to California in 1960. I was nine years old. And so i lived pretty much the rest of those years here in California. I served in the military for three and a half years, got out in 1975 at the end of the Vietnam War, and uh, I became a pilot at age 20. Used my GI Bill benefits to get, get my advanced ratings, and I flew crop dusters for five years right out of the military. And then I operated other businesses. I stopped cross, crop dusting in 1980. I did some a short stint as a commuter airline pilot, and uh, I. Wow. Went on and did construction work. I, I built, I don't know, half a dozen homes and three commercial, small commercial buildings over the years. And the biggest venture of, and I also owned a body, auto body shop and tow service. But my biggest venture was started about 26 years ago now when I bought land here in Linden, California, or just east of Stockton, and I wanted to farm. And so we bought this property, it was just bare ground. There was a house on it, and, uh, which needed work at the time. And, uh, and so we're still here today. It's grown into a pretty successful small winery. We make wines and bottle wines that we ship to over 400 wineries in 45 states. We have done exports to China, Vietnam, and South Korea, and uh, it's become a pretty successful small business
0: that's that's awesome so it sounds like you've obviously had a quite experience of just you know life in general where you've had multiple almost careers right. it seems like with you know your expertise in you know being a pilot and then also your being in the military so and then not only that just your construction history so that's probably helped you with the winery or what so what kind of you mentioned that you I mean what Spark the interest of starting the, the vineyard, the winery for you?
1: In Minnesota, we're farmers for generations, in actually Minnesota and Iowa. And so when I was a kid, we spent time on my uncle's farm. I learned to drive a tractor at eight years old. And so that had an impact on me. And, and that's one of the reasons when I got older, I, I couldn't get started farming. It's so expensive. But I, I started crop dusting, it's sort of tied two things that I liked together, and uh, but at, at any rate, at age 46, I sold some commercial properties that I developed and it gave me a grub stick to get started farming. And after a few years of farming grapes, I realized that I was too small a grower to make a decent living. And so the answer to the problem, it seemed to me, was to start a winery and have more control over the price of my products. And so that led us on the road of starting a winery and, and it. it it's primarily developed through trial and error, but we've developed into pretty successful small business. We have seven employees. We're looking to hire two more right now.
0: That's awesome. And that's that's good to see that those interests from your childhood carried over to obviously to your later years. So I mean that's something to to speak on just because you continue on pursuing something that you had curiosity about or had experience when you were younger, and then you're able to have carry that up, you know, as a right. business, which is, yeah, it is. great. It, it's neat. To be farming. So, yeah. So, what's your favorite part about you know just having a uh, a vineyard or a wine or a winery?
1: And for me, it's being able to live in the country, and and our this particular property is really special to us because it sits on a bit of a knoll. And on clear mornings, we can see the Coast Range Mountains. They're probably 150, 200 miles away. And I'm looking to the west. And if we look to the east, we can see all the white caps of the Sierra. And so it's a really beautiful place.
0: So for those that don't know, what's the name of your vineyard and where is it located? It's Saramont Estate
1: and it's located in Linden, California. And we have a website. You can go to our website, miramontestate.com.
0: Perfect. And how many, how many acres do you have on the estate? 40. That's awesome. And you mentioned that you, so has it always been like that where you had kind of growth or how, how has the business, I mean, how can you give us a kind of history of Miramont Estates or, you know, ebbs and flows of
1: Well, we planted in 1998, bought it in 97, and in 98 we were able to plant, and, and there were a lot of struggles. We had frost the first year that wiped out 4,000 plants that we had to replant. Our first harvest was in the year 2000, and we had a contract with a um, co-op, I guess you'd describe it. And the uh, co-op was supposed to market our grapes for it, except they didn't have a buyer for uh, the grapes in 2000. And so they shipped them off to a winery in Pastor Robles who made it into wine. And then we were supposed to get paid when the wine sold. It took us five years to collect for that crop over in a little pain. So that was not a good experience. And second year of the
0: contract was... Why, why did it take so long for you to get it paid out?
1: For... Because I would only get paid as they sold the wine. Oh, I see. I see. And so it took them a long time. So then, in the right, they came to me and said, "Well, we don't have a market for your grapes right away, so we're going to do the same thing. We'll take it to a different winery, make it into to wine." And then they called me a few months later and said, "Oh, we're going to sell it for forty-five cents a gallon." And I said, "What? That's crazy!" And but this was during two-buck Chuck. Remember the cheap wine that was the rage back then. And they sold mine along with several leather growers. All of our stuff was sold to Fred Franzia for 45 cents a gallon. And then they charged us a $1.30 a gallon to make it into wine. So we not only grew the grapes and delivered and didn't get, make any money, we were forced to subsidize the winemaking cost. So that was really bad. So that, I only had one year remaining on the contract and I, I sent him a letter and I said, I, just release me. I'll, I'll take care of this on my own. I'll find a way to market the, the grapes. And uh, they sent me a letter back and said, No, we'll charge you a 10% penalty because you're obligated under the contract to deliver or pay a penalty. So I wrote them back and said, All right, deal's a deal. I'll deliver. And then in August of that year, they sent me another letter and said, We don't want your grapes. And so we. We, that year, it was too late to find another buyer because we were harvesting in September. Yeah. So we we I'd already made arrangements the year before with a local winery to crush part of my 2001 crop and make it into bulk wine, and so we took all of it then in 2002 to that winery, and and uh, so then I had all this bulk wine to sell, and we started advertising it in little, little little advertiser sheets that we could advertise that would just got to wineries and things. And out of that grew the business. It started just shipping small quantities of bulk wine. And then after a few years, we were buying wines from other wineries and remarketing them combined with the stuff that we grow here. And the result was, is we just kept growing and eventually we added our first bottling line, and we started selling bottled wine to other wineries. And we'd actually bottle it and label it with our label. And then we added a sparkling wine, bottling wine, and so that we can do sparkling wines. And so now two-thirds of our business or more, it goes out of here bottled product, finished product. And and then the remainder is still sold in small quantities in bulk of you know, between a smallest is a drum, 55 gallons, up to 330 gallons in a square tote. And that's developed into a pretty successful business for us. Well,
0: that's, go ahead.
1: No, oh, that, that, that's pretty much our story.
0: <laughs> so it sounds like with the contract, it was kind of a good and bad thing for you in a way where you've, obviously, you experienced probably something you weren't expecting but then out of that, you probably were able to grow just because you kind of knew where those pain points were. And then you were able to address those just because you're, you know, you're, you. it seems like you took kind of took the middleman out of it.
1: That's what exactly did. what we did. We felt we, we had to do that or we wouldn't make it.
0: What would you do differently or what kind of advice would you give to someone that's looking into going into a winery or, or going into the, like, into this business, or what kind of advice would you give them?
1: Be prepared to go for years without any income, <laughs> <laughs> and we we didn't break even on the winery for about year ten. And
0: that's that's kind of how it is for a lot of businesses, just in general. Night, you know, and then I'm sure it's probably even longer for something where you know winery and stuff, where you have to you're based. You're basing it on your yields, what you're getting for that harvest, and then you're you have to have vendors, you have to have all these other things lined up right. to where you can actually make it successful
1: the, the licensing is is difficult because you have a federal license to make the wine, and you, you have state licenses, and then there are local ordinances that involve the use permits for the property and it just goes on and
0: on and on yeah. And I'm sure it's not that easy in California. No, it's So pretty cool. <laughs> so, so, obviously, there's a cost of entry. And you're saying it took you 10 years just to even make a profit, right? Mm, right. So, was there at any point where you're just like, was there like a tipping point where you're like, okay, this is going to work? Or were you, how close were you not, like, from not doing it? Are you completely committed to, to seeing it through.
1: Well, I guess there were times when we didn't know for sure how we'd see it through just because the financial demands were so tough, you know, but I worked, my wife worked and she paid most of the bills those first 10 years. And I worked on the ranch full time. Plus, actually, I was I was developing some of those commercial properties at the same time. and And those when those were sold later on, they laid the groundwork to expand the winery. because one of the issues, it's very capital intensive business. And so you know, we started with one small building. It was, that one was about twenty two hundred square feet on the ground, but now we have I think it's twenty three thousand square feet under roof. Oh wow! And so we wow. we built we have one two three four
0: winery buildings now on the property. Yeah. So it's like ten times the size. Yeah,
1: basically. yeah. And so it it, it was you know it, it we built as we could afford or get get the loans to to expand. And, and so it was you know it's just that kind of a thing so and I'm, a lot of it was bootstrap in terms of just out there I you know did laid in all the irrigation and the drip lines and steel and everything else that goes into the vineyard me and one helper literally did the front 25 acres just two of us and That's crazy a huge amount of work seven days a week there were no days off it was just
0: Yeah cuz I I grew up on a so I grew up on a dairy and I I come from like three generations of, of farmers. And so and I I knew the kind of hours that you had to put in cuz I was doing some of that when I was younger. <laughs> and so it's not not easy and it's they don't especially if you have livestock, they don't they, they need to be fed every day. They need so there's just things that you're you know where you have to you literally have to do those things because it has to, it's, there's no days off. Right.
1: So. Right. Right. But well, we're off now, but in the early days there weren't, there was just work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You have to get to a point to where you can, okay, now that we have employees, we could start taking days right. off, but then, That's right. yeah. Yeah. It's especially starting now. I can, I can only see how, I don't know. For me, it Bless your heart. Just because I, I don't know if I would have the the vision that you did as far as seeing things through, but I'm sure you're so much yeah. of a believer of your own product or what the vision that you had that you were able to to see that through.
1: And, and part so, of yeah, which is great. And, and part of that is that when you have everything you own and everything you've worked for invested in one place, right? It's like you either make make it or it's like Everything you've worked for is gone, you
0: know? Yeah. It's sink or swim. Yeah. Yep. It's, yeah. Cause you, you haven't, you had a lot invested into it. You both did you and your wife just because, you know, I'm sure there's lots of long, long restless nights that you guys had just, mm-hmm. you know, you know, trying to make ends meet right. for, for 10 years. Right. And, and then only that trying to have growth, do the licensing, do all the, government ordinances and all that stuff that you had to go through on top of that.
1: Yeah. It was, it was, it was held by fire.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what's your, what's your favorite part about owning land? You kind of mentioned you love the views, like obviously, you know, you, it sounds like you have mountain views on, on East and West side. Right. Yeah. So what, what, what other favorite things do you have about owning your land or what, 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 tries you to get up in the morning with your business. Well,
1: now I've reached the point after all these years. My son in law's our general manager, so I get to pick and choose what I'm work on. <laughs> and so that's pretty cool. I, I I work on on things like, you know, minor repairs on equipment and stuff like that. I take care of stuff like that. And uh, I drove tractor for, I don't know, about a day and a half last week. I'll probably do that some more if it dries out. And and I, I enjoy that being out in the in the vineyard and uh, so it's 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 really nice that you know I, I have the freedom to do whatever projects I want to work on I go out every morning say hello to everybody find out what, what's going on in the, the business today and uh, just you know I'm comfortable with the way everything's working now but it was a lot of it was hard to get to this point and and uh, so I'm I mean, I, I control my destiny in the sense that, yeah, I get up every morning. I'm up early just like I've always gotten up early. I'm usually up around five. And, uh, but it's my choice, and it's just what I do. And, and I don't commute to work. I haven't commuted to work most of my life since we, it's, business has always been where we lived. And uh, so I walk out the door, and I just decide on what it is I, I should be working on today. I go work on it, and that's incredibly valuable to me.
0: Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, you know, you have the freedom. I mean, that's something a lot of people are looking for, right? Right. But it took you a while to get there to where you were able to, you know, reap what you sow, you know, just because it took hard years to even get to the point where you're at, right? Right. And you're able to kind of be be your own boss, and I mean, obviously, you've been your own boss, but it's just like you don't have you're you're able to have a company hire other people to where you could pass on the other responsibilities that you probably had before, right? And then now you could just you know you're the boss, so
1: <laughs> I don't I don't sell which is great reports anymore.
0: my <laughs> yep. manager
1: <laughs>
0: just. Yep, just oversee certain things. I obviously you're going to have your hands in in pretty much everything just because you know it's your business. And so I'm assuming that you you've delegated certain responsibilities, so you don't have to do those anymore. Which is probably one of the reasons why you have that freedom now,
1: right? Which is great. Absolutely, I got I have staff now that, that take care of all the different.
0: So. You're looking to start your hiring, you said two more employees, yeah. is that what it was? Or no? How many were you
1: We and mm-hmm. we need two more.
0: Okay. And then what kind of So how do you see the next 5 to 10 years for for your vineyard?
1: I think our, our growth is going to continue probably 15%, 20% per year and uh, so we're just trying to you know prepare for that.
0: Yeah, it's you have to keep up with that growth too, right? So yeah. that's, that's another thing that's
1: you get bigger.
0: This is, I mean, it's more invest. It's great. It's, yeah, I mean, the more you get into it, the more you get into it, right? It's because the more you invest in it, the more you have invested. So right. it's, but it's, it's great. So because, because you have probably a sense of an, Empowerment, entitlement, because it's not only helping your family, but you're also helping others. You know, yeah. where you have other employees, and well, one of my—I'm sure that's our
1: sales manager. Mm-hmm. With us, 15 years, and my general manager has been with us 13, I think it is now. And so that you know, they're, they're, i like, I like it. We've got several people been with us. You know, I got another one's been with us seven, and another one uh, three and two right now, but I I like people to stay long-term. I don't like a lot of turnover.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's just better to have it that way just because the less turnover, I mean, everyone's going to know responsibilities. You're not going to have to retrain, you know, and it's, it ends up being like a family, you know, it's because especially when you're my experience, when living on a a dairy farm, like we, we had, we had a lot of help, but the help was always the same help that we've had for like 10, 15 years. Like we knew our milkers, we knew, you know, and a lot of it was family, but we had a lot of people that helped us on the, on our dairy farm for, for years and years. So, yeah. And then it ends up, they end up being family. (laughs) So. Absolutely. So it's my understanding that you were, an, well, were an RV owner, mm-hmm. uh, and that's partly what we do on our podcast. We we connect RVers to landowners and and kind of tell tell us more about your experience about RVing. Well, we we had
1: a fifth wheel for several years that we we made some trips with, and to tell you the truth, it it. There were a few really good parks we visited, but by and large, they were overcrowded and not very well maintained. And so it was disappointing to, you know, you have this, you know, when you look at the ads on the TV for RVs, they're always beautiful RVs sitting by a lake in the country or by a beautiful river and everything is just beautiful. They don't show you the pictures of the RV parks where everybody's crammed together, two feet apart, right? And but that's we live in a beautiful place in the. Country. And after a few trips, I said, why, "Why are we doing this? We I don't want to go to an RV park and have neighbors five feet from my door," and and I mean, I live in the country. I'm, I was home then. i doing trips, and you know, so it. It really lost its luster, I guess, for me. And, uh, but along the way, the, when it, we had the fifth wheel, and, and that's how this whole thing started, of having visitors on the ranch, I said, well, we'll just stay in the RV while we renovate the house, because we did a total renovation. And uh, so I ran in hookups, both water, sewer, and electricity, fifty amp just out here in the vineyard next to the house. And we lived in there for several months while we renovated the house. And uh, so when it was all done, I had all the hookups there. And so that's how we started down the road of having people come and stay. And I and I just listed it as just one space. So I want people to realize this was not an R V park. It was just one space. You're in the vineyard, grapevines all around you and and that was the draw for people to to come and use it and we didn't rent it a lot because I charged a lot because I don't want a lot of traffic just because it's near my house it's not too far and uh, but it was fun to do because you meet really interesting people and with everybody who stayed I would give them about a one- hour tour to walk through all the buildings explain what we do and and uh, and they'd all get a bottle of wine for each night they stayed, and 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 so we ran across all these really interesting people. That came here, you know, one fellow owned an auto repair shop in the Bay Area. And came with his wife and two little kids. They came two or three times. We had another who was a navy or a Navy SEAL, and he just gotten out and was had some break before he started his job out out of the military and he came with his family and uh, several professional people, PhD people like that, that were on trips and things, you know, so we had this cross section of all these different kinds of people and all really smart, really nice people to have spend time here. And so that, that, that was really fun. I don't. We sold our RV. We sold our fifth wheel because it just wasn't that good of an experience for me. And we bought a vacation home about an hour's drive away up in the mountains. And so that's what we do with our spare time now. And if when we can get away, we go up there. It's up at forty-two hundred feet, and it's really nice up there.
0: That's awesome. So, I and mean, that's one of the reasons why most people look to go rving right is to look for experiences and they want to have unique experiences and what a better place to have a unique experience than a vineyard you know right where you're you know you're surrounded by you know vine like grapes and just you know and i'm sure you know that you've you know like you were saying earlier that you have you've seen all different walks of life. And so you're able to communicate with people, have relationships or, you know, with certain people that you probably normally wouldn't come in contact with just by, just by hosting, which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it is. Since I, you know, didn't intend it to be a profit center. It was done for, and, and, you know, but it, you know, it was, it was, and, and, we haven't done it much in the last year since we bought the vacation house because it requires me to be here. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but it's all sitting there. Just if I want to have, if I want to do it, I can do it anytime I want.
0: Right. That's the nice thing about hosting as well is that you could set when you want to host someone or when 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 you have availability, right? So, which is kind of cool. So you could, you know, potentially say, "Hey, I'm going to be gone, so I'm not going to." hassle with it you know right. and then just do it on your own schedule i mean because that's, right. that's that's right. Part, part of having the freedom of what you you know what you're providing so
1: right right no and you know one of the things i see in the, the rv industry is like in modesto just south of us they it seems that they've sold so many rvs in the past few years just huge numbers and it seems like, and most of the buyers don't, they live in town, so they don't have, they can't park them at their house, right? And so there are these huge storage lots full of RVs parked as far as you can see. They pop up and it got to be a gold mine because you have no site services whatsoever. You just park RVs as far as the eye can see. And I'm thinking... All they do all the people really looks like they do is go to the RV lot and buy the brand new ones and then they tell them over here and put them in the store and start paying storage and you know the fact that they're setting so much is i don't think a good sign for the industry of manufacturers. and i think that the manufacturers need to be trying to expand not only the developed RV parks, but to to expand the alternatives or else there's not going to be a market for those RVs. That's what I see coming.
0: Yeah. So that's part of the problem we've had. Well, part of the problem we've seen at Curb and Turf is that, yeah, like you're right, there's tons of RVs being manufactured, just not enough places for them to go. So most people let them sit you know, within their storage, or they don't use it. So it ends up being what something that they thought would be kind of an investment for their family ends up kind of sitting on, along the wayside, you know, where, yeah. and that's unfortunate because that's, because during, during the pandemic, a lot of people were looking to do that because actually, which is interesting the RV sales actually gone up during pan, the pandemic so that tells us at Carpenturf that people want to get out, they want to experience. Imagine, you know, during that time everyone was hunkered down. You know, we had to stay six feet away from each other, or, you know, you couldn't go to public areas. Some states were obviously more strict stricter than others. So it just depend on where you're living at. But for the most part, people just wanted to get out. Yes. They wanted to experience things. So that's one of the reasons why RV RVs were being sold, you know, so mm-hmm. by, 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 I think it was like half a million. And yeah. so. Each numbers. Yeah. And, and that's been the case the last like almost five years where it's just, you know, there's literally millions and millions of RVs being sold, but just there's no way that to keep up with that volume to where people could stay. If you go to a public area, you, you have to, Plan out a year in advance, usually if not longer, depending on the air. You know, depending on where you're going. Right. Um, so, especially those national parks, especially, you know, I'm sure a lot of places along the coast. I'm mean, because, yeah, it's it's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's overcrowded everywhere, so that's why if more availability exists along the lines of curb and turf, there, you know, it would it would make places available to people who already have made this tremendous investment. And and I think that, you know, we know from the fact that people are willing to pay RV parks, and I, I, I saw a video by an RV expert the other day. Some parks, the high-end ones, are now charging 200 a night. And, and yet, it's, apparently, most of the RV parks, or at least the nice ones, were bought out by hedge funds. Yep. private in the past five years Yep. and apparently they're not real happy with the returns they're getting so they keep raising the prices
0: wasn't well, only that because i have a friend <laughs> i have a friend that does that he actually bought several rv parks and what they do is that they'll they'll have half of them like the space they they try to make it to where there's no vacancies. So in the areas that they do have vacancies, they allow long, more long-term stays. And so it's basically like you're paying for a month, you're paying for six months or whatever the the agreement is, the lease or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then that way they still get recurring. They're getting income, you Mm -hmm. know? And then, so, but at the same time they could, they're taking spots from what normally would be available, but for long-term you know, I'm not saying that's bad. It's just how business is, right? It's because they see a demand RV. You know, I would RV parks. They see a demand just because there's they know that there's tons of RVs being sold, so there's still a huge demand. So they're able to dev- drive that price. You know, pretty mm-hmm. much what they want because people are willing to pay that just because that's the going rate. Right. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, there's the ability to do a short term oh let's go you know to monterey this weekend and and we'll arrange a park right before the weekend
0: that doesn't happen
1: because everybody's booked solid (laughs) yeah
0: that's one that's one of the reasons why people some people just don't even hassle with it they're like if they they own the rv and they're like okay well you know you're saying we're booked for a year or however like what's and then it's like that almost everywhere. So it's kind of disheartening for people that own RVs where they want to have those experiences. And so I agree with you with, where platforms like Curb and Turf, where we're where solving two problems, right? We're trying to solve, you know, give agribusinesses or property owners a way to supplement income by, having, by hosting RVers to stay on their property. And then also RVers where they're Looking for a place to stay, you know, and so right. by by us being the middle person for that, we we're trying to provide a platform for for both those where people can host like you, you know, and and which you know, right now we've been so focused. We at Kermitor, we we pride ourselves on trying to uh, we build product that's you know specifically for an RVer so we we have an app where RVers could plan a tr- trip they could look for dump sites so like for in your case you have a you know you have a dump station you have all those hookups mm-hmm. cuz you set that infrastructure up just because but you weren't planning on having hosting you know, you weren't planning on hosting at that time. It was just out of necessity that you needed that because it sounds like you're doing, you know, upgrading your home or doing, you know, Mm -hmm. remodeling. And so, you know, but there's, there's tons of homeowners or property owners that are in the same boat where they probably have those, they have a spot or they have unique opportunities where RVers could stay on their property. And, and that's, they're looking for. And so, right. I mean, I, anyone that's listening to this, that's, that hasn't, you know, if you're a property owner or if you're have a agribusinesses, like, you know, you're, we we're wanting hosts on our platform just for that reason, just because it is a problem in the industry. And a lot of people don't know about it unless you're actually in our, unless you own an RV, you know, it's some of those things where like you are saying, you know, you see the, the cool commercials, you don't know the reality of an RV unless you actually own, own one. Sure. And, and that's, and that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's, there's a lots of, there's lots of things that go into owning an RV. You know, you're talking about the, the care of it. You're talking about like maintenance and all that stuff. There's, there's tons of, Tons of things that are involved with RVs, mm-hmm. but that's the unique thing about our platform. We want people to utilize something that they're investing into, you know, because those those things are like basically they ha- like have a, almost a mortgage on them. It seems like you
1: are financed, and they cost so much money, and and. To think that you buy it and then move it to a storage facility and that's where it spends most of its life is sitting in the storage facility. That doesn't make sense. doesn't make any
0: sense. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we, we have this, you know, podcast just to educate not only RVers, but property owners just because they could see what other people are doing like yourself, you know, cause you, you know, you're just kind of, recently started a vineyard to you know it's but that's something that you planned on doing and and it's that's great that you're able to do that and you're able to you know find those paths to do that but there's some people that just need answers and that's one of the reasons why we have this podcast so we could share your your experience and others experience just to so other people could glean off off that information maybe they can learn something you know
1: yeah well it, you know if the the, the rv years that we ran across were they were all good people that we were comfortable having you know on our property and uh, you know it, the advantage you have as a where you're only allowing one or two rvs or whatever you don't have to worry about all the partiers and all the stuff showing up you know and uh, so you know it it can be a good experience, and and you can you know make some extra money off it, and and provide a good service to people that own the RVs who really have invested a tremendous amount of money in in these trailers and and motorhomes, and they they you know they need somewhere to take them, and and they should be prepared to spend some money to ta- to for good places. You know it it's worth money, and if you if you spend a hundred thousand or more, which, I mean, our, our fifth wheel with a with a new four by four pickup under the front of it, well, we had over a hundred thousand dollars, and a lot of these motor homes are more than that. And so, if you spent that kind of money, don't come crying on my shoulder because you got to drop a hundred bucks a night on a nice place to stay. If you can't afford that. Well, you spend a hundred thousand dollars or more on a rig.
0: Well, and that's even cheaper than most R V places, you know, especially in California.
1: Yeah. So, you know, they need to be prepared to spend some money and because the landowner deserves to make something for providing the service. Yep. And that's
0: and that's one of the beautiful things about our you know, Curban Turf in general, is because we we want to empower the host as well. So that way, you have your rules. So, if you have specific rules for your for your place, you, people have to adhere to those rules. You know, there's certain, like you're saying, you're paying for, and you know, for an experience. You know, but it's also, you know, it's someone's property. It's someone's private property. So, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, it is something where we want to make sure that hosts, especially, realize that they have we try to empower the hosts as much as we can on the platform and if there's any suggestions that you know current hosts have to better the community we're always looking for that and that's one of the reasons why I like Urban Church, is because we're a smaller smaller team so we're able to pivot a lot faster than other companies and mm-hmm. we're able to answer those you know situations someone you know really wants a feature then we see that benefit you know we end up focusing on, on, on those features. Mm -hmm. And I, I I love it. I, and, and and I'm not saying that to be biased because I, I've seen both ends. I've seen where we dealing with years or travelers where they're frustrated because they don't know what to do. They're not sure where to go. And you also see, you see amazing people like yourself that, you know, are hosts who have, have property or ha- have an agribusiness and they want to share it with people because that's a way they make money. And then some <laughs> way they're able to supplement because there's probably someone that that's, that was like you, you know, maybe five years ago where they were struggling or they weren't, they didn't, you know, they couldn't see the light, <laughs> you know, where it's just like, you know, cause there's so many factors that go into, Anything that's, you know, where you have to harvest or anything that, that's agricultural, just because there's so many factors. And a lot of it has to do with the weather. A lot of it has to do with even something that's happening on the other side of the world where it's like, you know, tariffs or trade. You know, there's just tons of things that influence our own economy. And we don't sometimes realize that.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And this, this is from the landowners. It's really a minimal investment. I know some people don't you know, they don't really provide any hookups at all, just a place to park. And and that's you know, adequate. I mean most all of these rigs, at least for short term, two or three days stay. Yep. They can function without hookups. Yep. They have with them. And so don't have to make the investment in in putting hookups in.
0: Nope. You can yep, yeah, it could just be raw land, right? It could be yeah. a, a just make sure it's level and then you're good. Cause like you're saying, most most RVers, most travelers that have a motor home, they're gonna be good for a couple of days. You know, they can just go off their reserves. And that's yeah. that's a cool thing about our app is that we provide services to where RVers can look for dump sites, they can look mm-hmm. for fresh water, they can look for all those. So if there's a host that doesn't have offer those services, then they could still look off the app and you know. Pl- mm-hmm. Place. Yep. yeah 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 and i i think it's just a good service to have and it and it's only going to get better with people like you like people having having hosts having a community having more people that are willing to share their their property with others just because that's what people are looking for it's mm-hmm. and so yeah
1: yeah yeah, especially here in California, I think where are so many people getting away from the
0: crowds. Yep, people want to get. Yep, people want to get away, that, and they just don't know where to go. <laughs> so
1: many years ago, we, when our kids were younger, we took an RV trip, and last day on the way home, and I was really tired, and we stopped at an RV park near Clear Lake, and I'll never forget. It was all the real tight, close together, right? and the people in the next RV were having a fight and we got to listen to them yelling at each other for hours. It was terrible. And so those are the kinds of things that, that RVers should consider as value is when they can come to a place that's Quiet. rural and it's not crammed in wall to wall trailers, but that's worth something.
0: Yeah, it's, it is. That's not, that's, worth the trip <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's because people are wanting to get away they're not looking to go from one crowded place to another crowded place right. so right. it doesn't it doesn't make sense i mean like if you know me personally you know if when taking an rv out i'm looking for to have spend time with family to ha- be in secluded be a part of nature Having some kind of unique experience or whatever that is, and not being two feet away or ten feet away even from my neighbor and listening to what's going their conversations or whatever, you know.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm convinced the, the manufacturers of RVs need to take a lead role in developing places for RVs to to people to take their RVs. I mean, they're selling the product and they're only selling. I, th- I think they're losing a lot by failing to recognize they're, s- they're actually selling the experience here. And and if the experience is negative, then long-term, their product goes down in value.
0: Yep.
1: Not just the new one, but the one that, you know, the, the manufacturer needs to hold, help his used products maintain their value so that the new ones are easier to sell right well if if people buy them brand new and then a year or two later decide this is not for me because it's not fun there's no place to go then that that's going to eventually hit home on the manufacturers yep i agree and they need to take some of that pot full of money that they have and and facilitate the development and expansion of more places for RVs to go.
0: Yep. I agree a hundred percent because I think what they've been doing is just trying to make them, because there's a backlog for a lot of these manufacturers because they weren't, there weren't enough RVs at one time on order. Some of these were on back order. So they're looking to cut costs as far as manufacturing. So there end up being, not as good quality as they used to mm-hmm. it's there's a lot of problems that kind of go untold but that's something that they definitely need to to focus on is the infrastructure just of places for people to go it's because right. like you're saying it all comes down to an experience and then if you know if someone's going to have a bad experience and and this is a generational things because those people are, have families so if their kids are having a bad experience that's going to speak volumes to when they grow up and they have kids, you know, it's, right. it's not, you know, it's, it, it's going to come, it may come up, came, come and bite them in the butt more than once, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. no. I mean, if, I mean, they're invested long-term in those manufacturing companies, but I think they're, they need to invest also in, in development of places, to use their products.
0: Yep. And that's one of the reasons why carbon turf exists. Just because we we want to provide that service because we see a huge void in the, the market where there is a huge a big need for places for RVers to stay. You know, so that's once again, you know, if if you own land or if you're a property owner, go to our website, go to www.curbenturf.com and you you can host. We it doesn't cost anything to sign up. It's absolutely free. The way we make our money is that we get 15% of any on the reservation costs. And then the, the host, the owner gets 85%. And so, and that's one of the reasons why we other platforms don't offer that. I've seen other platforms where they don't give as much as we give as far as the percentage to the owners. So that's one thing that we also pride ourselves is that we want to make sure that's been mostly beneficial for, well, Beneficial for both hosts and guests and not one-sided, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. Perfect. Well, is there anything else that we could bring up or that you want to talk about? No, I
1: think you covered it.
0: Well, I appreciate it. So so once again, so where can people look for your for your for your vineyard?
1: We're at Miramont Estate, M-I-R-A-M-O-N-T Estate, E-S-T-A-T-E. At Yahoo, uh, that's the email. But .com. Dot com.
0: Perfect. Yeah. It it was a pleasure talking to you. It was great here finding out more about you, Dave, and and learning about your experiences, especially how those experiences led into, you know, your winery business and how, what that's doing for you currently. So I'm I'm happy that you're having more success, and I'm hoping that others are that are listening to this that that hopefully inspires them as well. And then they, they're able to make those steps forward. Even if there's something that, something that's hard, there's light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, you could have that freedom, but you know, it, it comes at a cost and, you know, that's almost anything good in life. That's all, that's what it usually, it it is. So, well, I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on with us today.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the recurring plot presented by Curban Turf. Curban Turf works like Airbnb, but we help RVers to find land where they can park when they're traveling. Make more money from your land. Please visit CurvinTurf.com to list your property.